Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Hi, and welcome to the latest edition of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. I'm always excited to bring you a variety of different guests on this podcast from different sectors from across the world. And I'm particularly excited once again today because I'm introducing Stuart Lancaster. Now, Stuart, many of you will know, was the former head coach of England rugby and now is the head coach of Leinster in Ireland. But I think one of the things that really attracted me uh, and wanted to, to interview Stuart is his use of the five dysfunctions. Many of you will be smiling at this point because if you've been on a workshop with me, you know it will be one of the tools that we've used uh, with a number of clients over the years. And I, and I was fascinated to understand how Stuart used the five dysfunctions in sports teams. So, Stuart, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Uh, no problem. Thanks for inviting me. It's really nice to see you and, and meet with you. Let's, let's start with the five dysfunctions. What attracted you to, to that model, to apply that for sports teams? Well, I think, I guess you probably better track it back a little bit before the actual time I came across the book. So I did a sports science degree and then uh, started on a teaching qualification and became a PE teacher. And during my late 20s, I went on uh, various rugby courses as, as I was transitioning from a player into a coach. And one of the courses was the Level 5 Leadership course, which was held at Ashridge Business School. So it was less about rugby, more about leadership and management. And it was that step into the leadership and business world, if you like, managerial world, um, that I was doing intuitively, but I didn't really have the theory behind the practice, if you, if you know what I mean. And um, yeah, yeah. so I guess this, the first book really was the sort of the classic Daniel Goldman Emotional Intelligence book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leadership chart by Kuzner and Posner was another one that we <laughs> followed. So Patrick Lencioni's book came in probably in the top 10 books that I read around that time. And I thought it was a really well-written book. Um, obviously, it tells a great tale. Yeah. But some really practical uh, examples in there that were easily translatable into the sporting context, particularly in teams. Um, particularly that, 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 um, that concept of trust or absence of trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been in environments that had both trusting environments and, and an absence of trust, and you know, it very much resonated with me when I when I read it. So that was, you know, that was in my early thirties, and obviously since then, I've always had a very active mind in terms of like developing myself as a leader, and you know, I've gone on from there and read many, many, many more books. And uh, I, what I do, I tend to take little bits of of all of them really and share yep. them yep. Uh, in the coaching teams I've worked with or with the players in particular, where I'm trying to grow their leadership whether they be senior players in a leadership group or the youngest players coming through the academy. Uh, so it'd be interesting to, to understand what, what do you think shaped your leadership style? Yes, there'll be courses at Ashridge and others, but a lot of it will be through learnt experiences, both good and bad. What, what are the, sort of the, some of the defining moments that you think have shaped your leadership style? I think there's a few really. Again, we're, we're going to trace it right back now though, to, to childhood, I guess. Um, I think... My dad really, he was a dairy farmer uh, and we had about 120 dairy cows and he was up at 6am milking the cows on Christmas Day and New Year's Day and, and they'd milk them again at four o'clock in the afternoon. And I guess that work ethic was the starting point for developing my leadership. And then unbeknown to me really uh, that it was going to be a, such a key factor was I went away to boarding school when I was 10. Quite a big step for a 10 year old to go away and you know live in a boarding school and everything that comes with it. Uh, now, my older brother was there. Um, he was uh, two years older than me, uh, which softened the blow a bit. But equally, it was very much sink or swim, really, in, in the uh, in the early 80s. And I think the education I got uh, at the school in terms of independence was, was critical. But also, 
probably the most formative time around, uh, at that point was the head teacher at the time was a guy called Malcolm Fine. Mm -hmm. And he uh, very much believed in empowering the pupils of the school to help run the school. And I ended up gravitating into leadership positions within the school. So I became the captain of the first team rugby, captain of the cricket team, and I became the head of school. Um, so I had three big, big responsibilities within this this uh, 11 to 18 you know, independent school on the west coast of Cumbria. Um, and, you know, things like, I don't know, reading in chapel or organising assemblies or meeting guests or having to organise school prefects and, and, and rotors that would come there. You know, it forced me really in my late teens to grow up a lot and become a lot more uh, like an adult, I think. So I think that was definitely a factor. Um, and then I went through this transition into university where I became, you know, a little fish in a big pond again. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went into a teaching profession where I then I began to gravitate back to leadership roles. So I think alongside that as well, I would say that I had some very good, not just Malcolm Fine, but some very good sort of role models and mentors who sort of guided me along the way as well. I think it's it's the package really that helped me on the path as well as, I guess, the um, the Level 5 Leadership course, which I guess, you know, pushed me on. Excellent. So when you look out there today in leaders, who inspires you uh, on the world stage in, or in any stage and, and why? I think anyone who makes a difference, um, anyone who, who makes a difference, but does it with integrity and does it with authenticity and does it because they believe in what they're doing. You know, sometimes I struggle with people who are in leadership positions who seem to do it because the way that they're political parties orientated, you know, without getting too political about mm -hmm. the whole thing, yeah. you know, <laughs> I tend to respect people who, who I think are going out there to try and make a difference. And I do believe that the more effective leaders we have out there um, in the world, you know, it's a bit of a, a grand thing to say, then the better the world will be, you know, and uh, I do believe leadership is a skill that can be learned. Um, and I'm very passionate in trying to pass on what I've learned. For example, I've got I think 17,000 connections on LinkedIn now, just by giving away free content mm -hmm. uh, on, on the books I've read and I'll make notes and I'll post them online and people connect and yeah, I try and share what I've learned. So anyone who does that with authenticity and can create a vision for an organization where people will willingly follow them, not because they're paid to, but because they, uh, because they have to, you know, because they want to. So I, I often read sport and autobiographies as I'm sure a lot of people would do in sport, but I also read a lot of books on whether it's political leaders or people who've turned businesses around because I'm always intrigued as to how they went about doing it. Yeah, excellent. And, and what, what would you say has been your biggest challenge as a leader? There's been a lot. There's been a lot, really. I mean, the first significant challenge really was I was the academy manager at Leeds um, in 2000 to 2005, and the head coach of the club at the time resigned. Uh, and I took over as probably the youngest coach in the premiership at the time, but we only had seven players left, everyone else left, you know, so there's seven players left at the end of the season and we had to build a team to get promoted into the premiership. So I promoted 15 academy players. I recruited probably another 20 new players and we had to create this sense of identity and leads for this team uh, and create a game plan that would help us win and get promoted into the premiership. Um, first time of basket. So that was very, very significant, a huge challenge for me personally, because you know, I've certainly felt the sense of responsibility. It was my club, the club I'd played at. We actually lost the first game um, against London Welsh and uh, that gave us, even reduced our margin for error even more. But it was a 30-game season. I think we ended up winning 25 or 26 games out of 30 uh, and we duly got promoted. So that was that was the big, big challenge. And then obviously the second year, you're in the Premiership with the likes of 
Harrisons and Bath and Harlequins and Leicester and you know you're very much the new kid on the block you've got you know half the budget everyone else has got so then you're losing every game so they were two big years um leaving that job to join the RFU was a big decision to go into a more managerial strategic role um uh managing the academies managing the international league teams trying to link up with the senior squad and then obviously the, the the big the big challenge that came after that was when Martin Johnson resigned and I got the interim job as England head coach um in uh, what was that January 2012 and you know suddenly you're you've gone from 10 years ago being a PE teacher to <laughs> 10 years later being the head coach of England so that's pretty significant in terms of challenge for sure taking on that role as as the head coach of England obviously the headlights are on you how did that feel yeah it's bit it's obviously a huge role um I felt you know people have said to me subsequently you know do you feel too young and I was 41 at the time but I actually felt I was ready for it um you know I'd done a lot of the study and you know we've discussed that already you know the courses <laughs> and um thought about leadership I'd come from within so I'd done four years within the RFU so I felt I had a good understanding of what needed to be done I'd had good mentors who'd guided me and supported me and they were still there to help me and um, so I wasn't like you know trying to do it on my own but nothing really prepares you for 80,000 people at Twickenham people singing the national anthem realizing all the eyes and all the cameras are on you and you know you win the game it's amazing um you lose the game it's devastating you know there's no middle ground really um uh, and you're in the public eye you know you've thrust yourself and your family and everyone who supported you from the shadows into the public eye and you know as we sit here now we're in the middle of the euros and i can't help but compare my uh, development to to Gareth Southgate mm -hmm. uh, and he got the entry England senior football job as an interim coach and he, he he took it on in the same way that I've done and uh, you know I hope for him that he comes out you know well in the end because uh, in sport it's pretty tough if you don't win every game particularly in a country like England you know the stakes are high and um, the fallout can be tough are you connected with Gareth in any way Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've spoken on various times. I've presented to him on what I've learned from I learned from coaching England rugby, um what I learned from the World Cup in 2015. Um so we did all this before the World Cup in 2018, this football World Cup. Mm -hmm. Um I sit on the technical advisory board for the Football Association. So I've um uh, come across him various times at that which is again a great place to share ideas. Yeah, that's great to hear. So you talked about the things that have gone well in that, you know, the lead story is obviously a fabulous one. What would you say, and this isn't a loaded question about England necessarily, what would you say your biggest mistake as a leader has been and, and what have you learned from that? I don't like the word mistake, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, no, 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 it's fine. I think we all, you know, we all would do things differently. Uh, the biggest thing I would do differently probably uh, would be, certainly with England, uh, it was a very big job to try and manage the national team and at the time you know england rugby had no ceo uh, there was no chairman there was dysfunctional board uh, commercial partners were walking away there was a lack of trust with the media and the and the premiership clubs so it wasn't just the case of just you know coach the team it was a lot more than that and try and reconnect you know the pathway to to the senior team and everything else so um it was a huge role and a lot of it was leadership obviously but there was a big element of managerial responsibility as well and probably the thing that got squeezed at either end was the coaching and the leadership piece because of the sheer size of the managerial responsibility and i guess in hindsight you know if i could have delegated more of that managerial part of the role it would have freed me up more capacity to to do the coaching on the on-field coaching of the team and obviously the you know, the leadership piece as well
Um, mm. But I guess the biggest the biggest learning would be to, to get the proportions right between coaching, leadership, and management, and delegate, particularly the managerial side of the job, which would have freed up more space. Uh, and it also sounds that's most probably where your natural preference is to spend more time, where you most probably add bigger value to the team. Yeah, I think yeah, definitely. I think natural. I mean, I, I'm reasonably adept at the managerial side of things, and I'm quite organised. You know, if you said to me, plan a week, a month, a year, uh, and 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 make sure people um, turn up on time, and you know, you're diligent with your your admin and everything else that you do. You know, I'm I'm pretty good at all that sort of stuff. Um, but if you said to me, what gets me out of bed in the morning? It's it's trying to create um, better leaders and pass on yeah. what I've learned as a leader and coach people. Um, now, obviously, my coaching is slightly different to yours, but it's in the same context, I'm sure. You know, I really, it comes back to my teaching background where I just really enjoyed helping pupils get better, whether where they be the most talented in the school or the least talented, the ones who weren't interested in sport, but you just wanted to try and set them on the right pathway in life, you know, between the ages of 11 to 16 in Kettlethorpe High School in Wakefield. Mm-hmm. Professionally or personally, how have you overcome your biggest setbacks? Well, the biggest setback was losing my job as England head coach. So it probably didn't get much bigger than that. Um, how did I overcome it? I spent a fair bit of time on my own thinking and reflecting and going through in my mind what I could or what I should have done differently or you know what was in my control, what was out of my control. I... Uh, shared what I learned, which I found quite therapeutic in a way, mm-hmm. um, because then it felt like people could benefit from from the experience I'd gone through. And I guess probably the other thing was I got back on the horse as quickly as I could, you know. So I went back yeah. into t- into coaching, uh, albeit you know a grassroots level and you know schools and club level within Yorkshire to start with. And then before too long, Leinster came and approached me, and um, I ended up uh, joining Leinster in September 2016. So if there were two or three bullets that you would share from what you learned in in that period, what would they be? It's important to have a purpose. I found it very difficult without the the purpose of a a team to coach. Uh, And I knew that at the time, but it probably brought it home to me uh, more so than anything that, 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 you know, having the purpose um, is really important to me personally. Secondly, I'd say that I remember I spoke to, I don't know if you've read the book, Good to Great. Uh, by Jim yes. Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I, met, I ended up meeting him um, amazingly. Um, we had a World Cup training camp in Denver, Colorado, and I guess it's relatively typical of me when the, I'd read his book and I realized, oh, he's in Colorado. I'll have to drop him a line and maybe try and meet him. And uh, not, not that he had a clue who I was. And uh, anyway, fortunately, the email got through to him and he was in Denver, in Boulder, when I we were there. And he, we arranged to meet. And I had this amazing three hours talking to him and his staff about my leadership philosophy and what I'd learned and picking their brains. So he, he sort of tracked my progress and realized I'd lost my job. And then he contacted me and we had a Skype call, maybe mid-2016. Um, and he talked about his mentorship um, of Steve Jobs when he was at Apple. Yep. Uh, and he said, um, Steve Jobs lost his job at Apple. I went, oh, I said, what did he do in the 12 years between leaving Apple and coming back? And he said, he went away and discovered what his passion was and he followed his passion. I guess the second thing I would say to you is I then spent my time following my passion, thinking about what my passion was, which was coaching and leadership. And then I wanted the next job to make sure I followed that passion. And I think, you know, the importance of purpose and the importance of following your passion were probably the two biggest things that I reflected on uh, during that time, as well as, you know, a million one other things to be honest, but they're the big two, I guess. 
Oh, I love that answer, Stuart. And, you know, and I know that we've known a number of people listening that uh, will be attending our Purposeful Leader workshop in, in September, but it, it just speaks to the importance of purpose. What does high performance look like to you today? When you're looking at, you know, whether it be players or teams or and, and in all walks of life, what does high performance look like to you? I think for me personally, it's, it's back to the sort of John Wooden. He's a basketball coach, or he was a basketball coach, but he's written great books on leadership. And um, he would talk about becoming the best of what you are truly capable of becoming. So that's for me personally, that's all I'm striving towards, always striving to achieve. You know, I want to, I don't want to retire from leading or coaching or whatever, feeling that I could have done more or tried and achieved a higher, higher growth in myself and in other people. I think in terms of the team or the, t- the individual I've coached, it's, it's ultimately getting the best out of yourself. It's a, it's a very similar message, I guess. Um, so high performance for me is getting the very, very best out of yourself as an individual and your ability to translate that into the best out of the team. So, you know, I'm constantly in this debate in my mind about how to get the best out of individuals within Leinster's rugby, but also how to get the team to perform to its best ability. And genuinely, if you look after one, the second looks after itself. But obviously, it's it's a bit more complex than that. But that's that's what high high performance for me looks like, you know, where a team has, you know, reached its potential through quality relationships, quality technical skill, quality values and behaviours, and quality levels of teamwork. So so when are you personally at your best? What process do you have to go through? I think I need to have the right balance between my family life, my work, and my personal health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Someone described it to me as three glass balls. You know, imagine if you're juggling three glass balls and you know, one's your family, one's your own work, and one's your, your own personal health and well-being, but then you drop one and it smashes, you know. So you've over-prioritised your you work over your family and your personal health and well-being. So I think making sure that I'm doing the best I can to be the best husband and best dad, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, also making sure that I'm personally rested. Um, I've been to the gym. I've looked after my diet. You know, I'm in decent shape and everything else. And I'm, I've devoted enough time to prepare properly for the next day. And then obviously when I'm at work, you know, I really, I love it. You know, I genuinely love the job I do. You know, if someone said to me, you've got to do it for the rest of your life, I'd be like, brilliant. You know, um, because every day I come in and I've got to either review a game, preview opposition, I've got to plan a training session, I've got to try and think of ways to motivate the group. So I think I'm at my best when that balance is achieved between the three things. And also that I've really had time to sit and think about what I want to deliver on a particular day. So where I get, you don't, you know, I can, I can usually, I guess, through experience and time, you can do certain days without having prepared that thoroughly. And, you know, you can you can get away with it. But ultimately, what I really want to be is excellent every day. I want to deliver the best training session that day. I want to deliver the best review of an opposition. I want to deliver a, a two or three really good one-to-one conversations. I want to try and connect with people within the management team. Mm-hmm. You know, all those little things that make up a successful day. You know, I want to have the time and capacity to plan and do all those things really well. So, so when does the red mist come down? What, what rattles your cage? Uh, very rarely, actually. Very rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty calm and composed most of the time. Things that would frustrate me would be lack of integrity would be a big one for me. People with poor values or people who do one thing or say one thing and then do another. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's a big one. Yeah, I can't be doing with that sort of hypocritical nature that you you see in certain people that you've yeah. that you've worked with in the past. But I've learned to to brush that off as well because there's nothing worse than dragging around anger or bitterness or resentment because it's just self defeating. So, so what's on your 
personal development plan at the moment? You sound like you've got a quest for continual learning. What, what are you particularly focused on? Well, I've got about a million books. I'm looking, I'm actually looking, at, I'm looking, I'm probably looking at about 200 books and I've got another, if I look around the corner, another seven books I'm going to be reading within the next couple of weeks. Um, we're actually on the off season now at Leinster. So I've got a little bit of time to do some a self-reflection. So review what we've done in the season, think about what I want to do better next season. Um, obviously I've got the chance to look at other leadership styles and, and read some leadership books. Um, or some autobiographies or, or or whatever. So I've got a few of those to get through. Podcasts, as you know, that's why I'm happy to come on this because you often gain a lot of insight uh, from listening to other leaders as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That'd be my short term, which is next. And plus, going back to the point about hitting the sweet spot, you know, it's the off season. So I've got to get some family time. You know, my son's, uh, he's a decent rugby player. He's involved um, in the Six Nations at the moment with England. So I want to go and support him. My daughter's just finishing her degree at university, so I want to support her. And my wife, you know, we've uh, we've lived apart pretty much for a year. I've been in Dublin, um, obviously through COVID. We haven't mm -hmm. been able to travel. So, you know, we need to spend some time together as well before pre-season starts all over again. And thinking about uh, advice, you know, you've got two children will be embarking on this, but, you know, uh, what advice would you be sharing for aspiring leaders? Well, one, I would say leadership is a skill that can be learned. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're often in the impression, particularly when we're younger, that like the captain of the team is just got some special gift that no one else has got. Uh, I don't think that's true. I do think everyone could improve to be a better leader. You know, and if you study leadership, you, you begin to become more self-aware. You begin to understand your own personality, your own strengths and weaknesses. You get some feedback on how you you manage your emotions, how you manage relationships, and you develop some skills to to grow. I, I didn't start that until I was about 29, 30 years old. What I wish I had done is that I'd started that at 21 years old. So if anyone's listening who hasn't started, <laughs> never too late to start. Or if you are young, you know, it's definitely, you're never too young to start either. You know, and I, I, would, have, I would almost have a, a curriculum within education that is based around leadership, emotional intelligence, relationship management, alongside your traditional levels, because ultimately they're the skills that are going to get you on in life. Mm. No disrespect to, you know, academic A-level subjects. They are important, obviously, but but what 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 really is important in, in success in life is people who are effective at building relationships and getting the best out of themselves and other people. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm often asked, is, is leadership an innate skill or, or can it be learned? And I always think, well, I'm in the wrong business if I don't think it could be learned and developed. Yeah, exactly. You, you kind of alluded to it there, which was, wish I'd started it, you know, 10 years earlier. What advice would you give the Stuart Lancaster starting out again? I probably wouldn't change too much. The advice I would give people would be always go for the job that you think's just out of your reach. <laughs> always be prepared to put your head above the parapet. I think yeah. when I go back through my subconscious decision-making, which I think about now it was subconscious, it wasn't conscious decision-making, I always applied for a job that I was probably one step away from. Um, mm -hmm. I would probably, you know, as an academy manager, going to become a head coach of a premiership club, you know, as an interim England head coach, you know, going to the board and saying, listen, I think I can do this job. I do think that's a really important part in developing yourself as a leader, that stretch part of, you know, it's easy. We can all sit and be comfortable. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, by the way. You know, there's a lot of people out there um, who would be quite happy, you know, hitting that balance between work, life and everything else. And I remember this, I saw this um, this line where you've got on, on one end of the line, save a life, as in like 
S-A-V-O-U-R, Savor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like Love Life. And then on the other side, you've got Make an Impact. And the, the the guy who's taken the talk said, right, where would you sit on this continuum? You know, would you sit towards the left or to the right? My wife and I looked at each other and uh, she was definitely towards the left and I was definitely towards the right. <laughs> um, so there's nothing wrong being towards the left, but we need people who want to be towards the right. And I think that's a really important lesson I've learned. And I think if you do, if you are in that category, then you can make a difference. You, you, you definitely can. And even if it's to a small circle of people who who surround you at work, you know, making a difference to someone from a leadership point of view is, is, is going to be a good thing. And then last question before a few quick fire questions uh, at the end. What, what does the future hold for you, Stuart? Good question. Good question. I've just actually re-signed a, a, a new two-year deal at Leinster. They'll be delighted, I'm sure. So, so my contract finishes um, at the end of this month. So that would take me to 53 years old. Um, my kids then would be, Sophie would be 23 and Dan would be 22. Now, obviously, I'd, I'd be more than happy to stay at Leinster. Uh, it's a great club, you know, one of the top European clubs. I get the sense at some point there'll be an itch I need to scratch in a, in a different environment, a new leadership challenge I want to take. Going abroad is, is when I say abroad, you know, out of UK and Ireland, you know, France maybe or Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. I do enjoy working with the sports and other businesses. Um, I do have my own leadership masterclass website, um, which I enjoy doing. So doing stuff outside of sport, I've enjoyed, but, well, within sport, but outside of rugby have been enjoyable. So I'd like to do more of that. And also with business as well, um, sharing what I've learned. And I guess ultimately, if I could, you know, wave a magic wand, I'd coach rugby for at least the next 10 or 15 years and then then go into some sort of coaching slash leadership consultancy where I'm, I'm passing what I've learned and trying to help people become better coaches and leaders. Yeah, l- love it. Uh, a few quick fire questions to finish off on. What, what's, your, what's your guilty pleasure? Oh, guilty pleasure. I, 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 it's probably a difficult one for me to answer. Probably, probably selfishly, time on my own to to do what I want to do. <laughs> I don't seem to get much of it, really. What would you be doing? Probably catch up with mates, actually, and going out and having a few beers. And yeah, that, that's what's got squeezed the most, I think. I actually spoke to someone who's in a very, very high-profile business position, and he's, he left his job um, having turned this big company around. I ended up having a, a call with him less than two weeks ago, actually. And um, I said to him, do you think you'll go back into another big job? Um, and when I said big job, you know, we're talking like off the scale big. And he said, you know what? He said, I just feel I owe it to myself to reconnect with my family, but also my friends. And, I, you know, that thing, uh, that's definitely on my When he said that, I was like, he's right, you know. I've got mates from school. I've got mates from university and mates who I've played rugby with, who I've not seen for years. And that that would be, it'd be great to be able to spend time with them. One thing you'd put in room 101? Negativity would, would be the thing. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I'm a very optimistic person by nature. Yeah, it comes uh, across. And, and, I, and I struggle a bit with people who are sort of pint glass half empty. So, yeah. What would you like to be good at, but you're just not? I think it would be quite good to play a musical instrument, wouldn't it? Or sing. Mm. I think, I think... I've been thrown up on a karaoke once or twice in front of the players, and it'd be really good to be able to actually nail, nail it in front of them and go. Last one. What makes you smile? I guess. I guess going back to the uh, the times when I've laughed the most have been always with friends and family who I feel comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're in a high profile position, you're often very guarded because of who you are, and you know, if you ever go out to a pub, or whatever, there's always someone there with a camera who wants to. Um, have a photo or something, which is fine. Obviously, you know it's part of the profile of the role. Um, but um, you know the private moments when you're with uh, friends and family—that's they're the times when you know you 
you can be yourself. Stuart, I love it. I just want to say thank you. I, I feel like you're a kindred spirit in terms of some of the models and some of the philosophies that you've you've shared. You and I haven't met, so I just want to thank you for coming on today. And I think it's been your abundance mentality of sharing. That's how we've connected over LinkedIn. Uh, and I want to thank you for the disclosure of, of this session. It's been really insightful. Thank you. Thank you. Um feel like I've been to some sort of therapy session, but um, I've come out the other side. I'm still alive, so all good. I hope it's of use. And like I say, if anyone wants to connect on LinkedIn, just send me a connection and the leadership masterclass is on stuartlancaster.com so you can sign up for that. Awesome. Thanks, Stuart. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.